Good morning. That was a wake-up call <laughs> for you and for me. Uh, for those that uh, may not remember, uh, there is an outline on panel five. And for those of you who don't like outlines, let me give it to you quickly. Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit descends, the church goes out, Jesus is coming back to take us to himself. That's it. All right. What we're going to look at this morning takes place 40 days after the resurrection, 10 days before Pentecost. And all during that 40 days, the uh, disciples have been with Jesus. They've been with the risen Lord. He's taught them. He's talked to them. And uh, he's taking them back to a special place. And that special place is the Mount of Olives. Now, as they're going back to the Mount of Olives, I presume some of them are having flashbacks. Flashbacks to that darkest night, that night of desertion, that night of denial. And yet, nonetheless, Jesus has chosen to take them to that place to dispel the darkness and the doubt and to dispatch them to change the world. Jesus' longest teaching on eschatology was given on this very place in Matthew 24. And so he takes them back to that place to wrap this up. And it's really very appropriate he takes them to the Mount of Olives, especially when we remember what the prophet Zechariah says in chapter 14, verse 4. He says this, On that day his feet, the Messiah's feet, shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the Mount shall move northward, and the other half of the Mount shall move southward. Please stand for the reading of God's word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until that day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we stand with your son this day and we hear the report, the account of his departure to be with you. And we pray that as we ponder the implications of all that for us, that our hearts would be moved to know him better and to love him more. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. What's happening in our world in this day? Russia is at war in Ukraine. China is threatening Taiwan and the whole Pacific Rim. Iran and North Korea are contemplating the development of a nuclear weapon with full intent to use it against Israel and against us. Crime and lawlessness are a problem in almost every major city. Open borders facilitate, if you would, human traffic, human trafficking and drug smuggling that is killing tens of thousands of Americans. Now in the midst of all of this, how often have you thought this would be a good time for Jesus to return? I think probably every one of us has had a similar thought and a lot of times when we admit that, we're saying that would be good to happen because that would relieve a lot of my stress. That would be good for me. That would be good for our country, good for the nation. And we all have that kind of a myopic view. We see it in the apostles. We are told that Jesus had been teaching them about the kingdom for 40 days. And they didn't really get the big picture because on the day on the Mount of Olives, they say to him, will you this day restore the kingdom to Israel? Let's get rid of Rome and put Israel back in the center of things. They had, if you would, a small view of the kingdom. They had small picture faith. I think all of us as disciples really have a small picture faith. So instead of small screen faith this morning, I'd like to ask a big picture question and see what the scripture has to say to us. My question is this, what part does our risen savior have for us, for me, and for you in the big picture. So if you would, imagine uh, you're in uh, the stadium out there and you have that big jumbotron in front of you and there are four panels on that jumbotron and as we look at that jumbotron, we see the big picture and in the first panel, what Jesus shows us is a picture of him ascending. As Chris had mentioned, he is ascending to be seated 
at the right hand of the throne of God, ascending because his work is finished. When he was dying, his last words were, it's finished, complete, and it's done. So now, why is he ascending? He's ascending to rule as king. Ephesians 1, 22. He's seated at the right hand of God to rule over all things for be, on behalf of his new creation, the church. Jesus is ruling over all things on behalf of this church and every other church that confesses his name. Everything. And since that event, things have never been out of control globally or personally for every Christian. Romans 8, 28. In all things, God works. He works them together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's you and that's me. And the question this morning that sort of jumps out as, us as we even consider that verse is do we remember it and do we live like it's true? Do we really live like it's true that all the things that are happening in our life, God's at work in them for our good and for his glory? You know? I mean, I've got a doctor's appointment tomorrow, and you, you know some of my uh, trials and tribulations with hearts and stuff, and I don't, really, I'm not sure what he's gonna say, but I know in whatever he's gonna say, and whatever he's gonna say we need to do, God's at work in those things for my good and for his glory. And so living like that is living according to reality. You see, in the big picture, what matters is not who rules here below, but who rules here below from the throne above. And so much of our lives are influenced by circumstances what we see and what we hear and what we read, that if you're like me at all, the pull and the tendency is to live by sight and not by faith. To think things may be out of control, to wonder what's going to happen next, to say, well, the government's got to do this, the government's got to do that. There is one government is the real reality and it's not in Washington. It's the right hand of the throne of God. And the real reality is in all of this that Jesus is king and that he reigns. What more than that? He ascended not only to be king, but he ascended to minister as our high priest. In Romans 8, 34, the word of God says to you and to me that Jesus is constantly interceding for us. He has no limitation to his capability. You know, we can't multitask. He can multitask infinitely, infinitely. And so his intercession is constant. You want somebody to pray for you, look at Romans 8. You'll see that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And the Christ is seated at God's right hand interceding for us. And you can actually say, Lord Jesus, Pray for me, intercede for me. And he can't say, and he won't say, I'm too busy. I don't have time to do that. 
How many times have people asked us to pray for them and we never get around to it? That's what Jesus is around to all the time as he intercedes as our high priest. He came not only to be our high priest, but to be the sacrifice and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he's returned to heaven to reign as king and to intercede for us as our high priest. Now, if you believe in Christ's work on the cross, his atoning death and resurrection, you are in this big picture. You are on his heavenly prayer list. Your life is in his plan book. And no matter where you are, he is on plan in your life, and your life is on plan because he rules. He rules everything for those for whom he died. And so being in the big picture, we remember what his name was. He was given the name at birth, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so in this portion of Acts, we see him leaving. He's leaving his disciples. He's going. And how is he going to fulfill his name? How is he going to be God with us? Well, he's going to be God with us as we look at the next frame. Not only has Christ ascended, we see he is sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is descending. He commands his disciples not to leave Jerusalem until they are baptized by the Spirit, which the Father will send. And the reality is, this is happening so his name will be fulfilled. We'll never be alone. You're not alone. God is with you. When somebody says, God be with you, that's a reflection of reality. For Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. That's reality. Do we live in that reality? I mean, I've been in some places in my life where I've felt really alone, very dark places, very dangerous places, and I felt alone. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. You don't know what's three feet away. And in the midst of that loneliness, the reality is that we are not alone. And the Holy Spirit has descended for two reasons. One, to empower the church. You will receive power, Jesus tells them, when you are baptized, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive the power that you need to do what I am sending you to do. And the Holy Spirit not only comes to empower the church, but to mobilize the church. For what? To be his witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now that's a repetition of the Great Commission that we find in Matthew 28. At the same time, it's a great outline for the book of Acts. If you look at the book of Acts, it's outlined as the church moves out from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth with the Apostle Paul as it comes, if you would, literally to us. Now, the Holy Spirit has been poured out for every member of Christ's church. Everyone. There is one faith, one birth, one baptism, 
one spirit. And if you believe in Christ, it's the spirit of Christ with whom he baptized you that has brought you into the faith. Now, how many of you uh, have ever seen a video of a mother feeding baby birds? They're all mouth, 90% mouth. And, and here comes the mother or the father, which I want to discriminate, with a worm or a feed, and just dropping it in, and they gobble it up. How many of you have an appetite for the Holy Spirit? How many of you desire to be filled? In Psalm 81, the psalmist says this. Speaking for God, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Open wide your mouth. Open wide your Bible. Open it and read it. Hear from your God. Open up your communications to God. Open up your prayer life. Open up yourself to the Spirit of God. Don't close yourself off to God. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. So it might reality might be it is God who is with us. And this is what makes the difference. Consider, consider Peter. He went from the great denier to the great declarer. He went from saying no way to every way. He preached the first sermon. And what is it that Peter had that made him different? He had the gospel of Christ. He had the spirit of the living God and he had if you would the reality that it was in his life and so he was able to do what he was called to do we have the same thing you have the gospel you know what it is you don't need anybody to teach you you know that you're a sinner and that Christ Jesus came to die for sinners. You can share that kind of a message. You can say, he's made a great difference in my life. And you might ask yourself, I wonder if this is going to work. Well, in the next frame, we see the church going out. You're going out, you're gonna leave Jerusalem they didn't want to leave. They liked Jerusalem. They wanted to hang around the capital. A persecution came that finally drove them all out. The apostles stayed. But the believers went, and when they went, they went, we're told, preaching the gospel. They went out bearing witness. They went out with their duty to begin to fulfill the global agenda. The book of Acts, in so many ways, is continuing to be written right now. And the book of Acts is not going to end until every single person for whom Christ died is saved. It is not going to end until the last border is crossed between here and the end of the world. The end will not come until the full number of Gentiles come in. But the end will come the way Christ appointed it.
You might ask, how do we know that this plan of Jesus's would be effective? Well, that plan was laid out 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago to a group of apostles or disciples. And here we are 2,000 years later, a half a world away, sitting in a church, believing, confessing, and praising Christ. Do you need any more evidence that that's how the plan is supposed to work? There's a trail of witnesses from here all the way back to the Mount of Olives that has brought you here today. In fact, if you think about it, there's probably someone in each one of your lives who was used of God to bear witness to you that either began or continued your journey to come to Christ. You understand there's a difference between a gospel presentation and a witness. A lot of times in gospel presentations, you run into all the objections, the classic objection. Oh, I don't believe in that kind of God. I don't believe in the God of the Old Testament. What about the innocent native in Africa, etc., etc.? You get that all the time. But the reality of a witness is when you say, knowing Jesus has changed my life, either call, they could call you a liar or say, I don't believe that. But a witness says, no, it's true. From day to day, I couldn't make it. I wouldn't have been able to make it through the loss that I suffered when a certain person I loved died. I wouldn't have been able, be able to have hope. I've been looking for a job for years and I haven't been able to find one. And I would be without hope if it were not for Christ. The witness goes on and on and you need to be ready to give a witness. That's what Peter tells us. He says, always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you. In many ways in our world, it sort of means being willing to fly your flag to uh, have enough evidence in your life that if you were arrested for being a Christian, you'd be convicted. I have a friend, got a new hat, and on the hat it says, I had a DNA test, and I found out God is my father. That's a pretty funny hat. <laughs> well, what do you say after that? Well, you say, pardon me, can I tell you how I got adopted? You've got to be ready for the opportunities to bear witness in your life. When somebody says to you, I don't know how you're able to do this. Oh, I'm just tough. I endure a lot of things. You've got to suck it up and tell the truth. If it weren't for Christ, I'd be stumbling through this, not knowing where I was going or what I was going to do. You're not, you need not to be ashamed of Christ but willing to bear witness to him and to tell people that the difference maker in your life is the Christ who gave his life for you. Think about it. There may very well be somebody out there who is waiting for one word of witness from you to make an eternal difference in their lives. And that's what we're called to do. To be eternal difference makers. 
to be a witness for Christ that will make that difference in somebody's life. And you're a testimony that that's how it works. That's how you got here today. And from here to the time of Christ's return, that is how it is going to continue to work. And finally, in frame four, the two angels that are standing by the apostles tell them they're going to see Christ returning with the clouds. The sky will be rolled like, back like a scroll and the Lord shall descend. The trumpet call of God and the voice of the archangel, he'll return with all his own and the dead in Christ will be raised first. Then we who are left will be caught up in the air to join them. He'll be coming back, if you would, in triumph. Even as Zechariah says, the mountains will split. He'll set his feet down and the earth will be changed. And he will return with the fullness of glory. The humility with which he came will be totally reversed. And it will be filled with unspeakable glory. For he will be returning to consummate his kingdom. The new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, from God. They're standing on the Mount of Olives looking at the old city of Jerusalem. And Jesus is telling them, when I come back, all things will be made new. No more tears. No more death. Everything that's wrong will be right. And I will reign and you will live with me. You will be in the presence of God in heaven forever. It's a big picture. Everything's going to change. And Jesus is going to change it. He's changing it now. And he's called you and me to be change agents. To bring that big picture into fullness, into focus. So in the big picture, what is it that Jesus wants from us? He wants us to bear witness that we know him and that he has changed our lives. You know, with, with COVID, every movie that you wanted to see that you didn't see has been rerun. And uh, I presume anybody that wanted to see Saving Private Ryan has probably seen it. And uh, if you remember that movie, uh, Captain Miller and his detachment of men have given them a mission to go save a surviving brother of a family, I think, of four brothers. And all of Captain Miller's men are killed on this mission. And in the final scenes, Captain Miller is dying on a bridge, under attack, and Private Ryan is listening to him. And Captain Miller, as he's dying, says to Private Ryan, earn it. Earn the good life that you're going to have because these men have died for you. And this thought, obviously, Father's Private Ryan most of his life because the concluding scene of the movie 
is Private Ryan returning to the grave of Captain Miller in Normandy. And literally, they're talking to him. He testifies that he thinks he's lived a good life, that he's earned it. Thinking about those that died for him. Well, it's not really a very encouraging message. Because the life that we look forward to in Christ isn't earned. It isn't deserved. We don't have to earn it. It's free. It's a gift free to us. It costs Christ his life. And we don't return to the, the grave. But each Sunday, we return to the memorial. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Reality is that Jesus was not ashamed of you and your sins when they were laid on him. And the future reality is, is that when you and I stand in judgment and the accuser of the brother and says, Dave Holland is a sinner, he deserves to die. Jesus, who is our advocate, who is our defense lawyer, will say, no, he doesn't. Because I died for him, I paid the penalty for each and every sin in his life. He is pardoned. He has the possession, the gift of eternal life, not earned and not deserved. And if that is reality, that in those moments that Christ was not ashamed of you, how can we not be his faithful witnesses and bear testimony that Jesus has changed our lives, that he has given us new life? And this morning as you come to the table, as you participate, as you eat the bread and drink the cup. Make it your prayer that the Holy Spirit would more and more fill you and enable you to be a witness for your Savior. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for the gift of Christ. May we never be ashamed of him. May we always look forward to his return and seeing his glory. Cause our hearts to burn, to burn with zeal, to make Christ known. And we ask and pray this in his name. Amen.